Assalamu alaikum. Ever since I had the idea of doing this podcast, I knew I had to get Abdul Wahid on and get him to talk about the Hajj ride. Pinning him down wasn't easy, but I finally managed to get it done. The Hajj ride remains perhaps the pinnacle of any Muslim rider's cycling career, and to do it all the way from London, crossing several waterways in continental Europe, is mind boggling. Not to mention the fact that they had to deal with mountain ranges sandstorms, extreme heat, as well as many other things. So sit back and enjoy. Introducing Abdul Wahid. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Gapped Podcast. I have today with me Abdul Wahid, Hajj Rider 2017. How are you today, bro? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm well and hopefully the audio is working now and you're not going to kill me later. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we didn't have a back and forth just now about how bad your internet is. Anyway, let's get straight into it. So, a few icebreaker questions, bro. Uh, favorite bike, uh, past or present? Um, Marita Sculptura Pro Comp, the one I took on the Hadge Ride, the one that if you told me I only had one bike to ride in my life, I would just sit on it quite happily for the rest of it. Didn't you take my bike to Hadge Ride? I started with your bike, the Genesis Equilibrium, and that was incredibly comfy, but, but it was a little heavy uh, yeah. um, trying to take a steel bike over the Alps. Yeah, it was about 11, 11 kg, was it? Steel, full mud guards, disc brakes. Yeah. Yeah, it was about 11 and a half. Oh, damn. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's go to a Merida. I don't think many people would pick a Merida, but fair enough. And uh, so, Abdul Rahid, how long have you been riding? Uh, since 2015, I mean, obviously you, you ride when you're a kid and you do stupid oh, things. Yeah, of course. I was more of a downhill mountain biker, but, you know, when I, when I actually got into road cycling was in 2015 with AICC's London to Paris. Oh, that's uh, Aliman Cycling Club, isn't it? Yes. And you are the Amir Sub, the new Amir Sub of Aliman, am I correct? Uh, that is correct. Mashallah, they have opted for the Raj sort of model. You know, put the white man in charge of all of the. Uh, yeah. Congratulations and uh, Allah help you as well because, as we all know, that is a big responsibility. Uh, so yeah, good on you, bro. Uh, me. Good uh, on you. Uh, so what kind of? You know, it, it's it's a great opportunity, but it comes with big responsibility. Absolutely, as well. absolutely, bro. Uh, Allah give you ease and. Uh, yeah, Baraka in, in inshallah. We had it. Right. And uh, so, favorite route or okay. road that you've ridden? What's the what? Your favorite route or ride or road that you've ridden ever? Oh, favorite right route or road that I've ridden ever? Um. So you've ridden in Malaysia, haven't you? I've ridden in quite a few countries, yeah. No, but that, uh, that's was really, really amazing. That's probably the most far-flung place, though, isn't it? That is the furthest from home, yeah. And it was epic. So what's that like? Like, is it humid out there, or what's the roads like? The drivers? Yeah, put put low, put your heating on as high as you can, so like twenty-five, thirty degrees, and put loads of wet towels on the heaters, <laughs> so that way it becomes really humid in your house. Then do a turbo trainer session and watch the sweat pour off you like crazy, and you're getting there. Okay, okay. So, uh, what were the roads like, and was it mountainous? What, what, what were you doing out there? Yeah. Well, Malaysia's got a massive amount of different terrains. It's got like what I nicknamed the tropical Alps. It's got the paddy fields, which are just pure flat. Like there's not even a, a smidgen of elevation. Um, and then you can sort of play and muck around between all of them. They've got something called uh, Bukit Fraser, which is like four and a half thousand feet of climbing with switchbacks oh, that continuously just climbs through the jungle. Um, and then they've got, you know, like you can go from Kuala Lumpur to Malacca and it can be, you know, a couple of hundred feet elevation over 150 km kind of thing. Oh, wow. And, so you uh, can really choose what you want to do. Oh, epic. So uh, did you see any like wildlife while you were riding? Monkeys in the trees? Snakes? Yeah. I, 
yeah. I've been chased, chased by dogs, <laughs> by monkeys, um, hissed at by <laughs> lizards and snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think the most the most dangerous thing on the planet that I've experienced is probably chickens. Really? Yeah, the chickens, uh, they don't have any spatial awareness. <laughs> it's like they don't care that you only have skinny little wheels and they will happily just run underneath you. Very nice. Very nice. Well, that was only in Malaysia then? The monkeys, they'll just like get angry at your face. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Malaysian chickens are just... just they want to get eaten, I guess. Uh, so back to the question, though. What, what would you say is the, your favourite road or route uh, away from Malaysia? Because obviously you've ridden to Hajj and uh, taken in maybe 10, yeah, 15 um, countries. I think my favourite section would... My favourite section in all time is probably going home to the Chilterns and where I did all of my training. Really? Uh, there's a couple of roads up there that, yeah, I, I mean, the Chilterns and the Cotswolds is where I did most of the Hadride training. And in the summer, when it's nice and warm, obviously, um, it's just a place that I always want to go back to, even if I'm somewhere else in the country, want to go there and cycle. It just feels like home. That's very interesting, because I, I almost feel I ha like I have the same affinity for the Essex roads that I train on daily, whereby I'll go anywhere in the world, and they can have beautiful roads, uh, but there's something about your local lanes that I guess you grow attached to. So uh, interesting. Um, it's yeah, interesting. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. And obviously, I mean, I grew up in the Chilterns, and I grew up. Um, I didn't have a road bike. I had like a, a mountain bike, and we used to go out for like thirty mile, forty mile off road uh, bike rides as, as kids, and just disappear for hours and hours on end. And it just reminds me of that every time I hit out there. <laughs> so let's get into the Hudge ride. Set the scene. Um, so what was the plan? How many people did you have? What, what were you planning to do? Um, there was no plan. I kind of came up with this nut job idea that we should all cycle to Hajj. Uh, I came up with the idea originally around about 20... Two, sorry, 2007, I think. 2007, 2008. Um, I reckon 2007. And I have the original paperwork from then. I actually drew out the whole map of all the countries that we, we could cross with this different routes. And I thought it would be a wonderful idea, but I didn't know any lunatics that would be happy to join me. Um, and I kind, of, I kind of like shelved it after a couple of years and just said you know what i don't know anyone else and i'll see what happens later on and then i bumped into the, to the aicc guys we went on london to paris and i rummaged through my old files and i found that piece of paper and i kind of suggested it to a few people and they were like yeah why not and i think it was one of those moments where where people sort of say yes but they don't necessarily mean yes Oh yeah. Um, so I I went away and made a massive project plan and a whole proposal and cost breakdown and this and that and the other, and I submitted it to Abdul Mukit, the, the the Emir of AICC at the time, and he was like, "Yeah, we should do this." And I looked at him like, "What's wrong with you?" Um, and yeah, a lot of people said, "No, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen." But he believed in it from the beginning, mashallah, and he, and he pushed it, and this is where we are now. So what year was that? That was, I reckon, 2007, no, 2016 okay. is when I got the proposal in. And then, and then um, you were, you were then, doing the trip the next year? Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I just went for it straight. How do, you, how do you go about getting permission from... Uh, the Saudi government and whatnot, because you can't just ride into the country, I imagine. Well, we didn't get permission. Oh. Right, yeah. Ex explain that. Well, <laughs> you're right. If, if you're from certain countries, you can actually walk in, you can ride in, you can run in, you can, you can boat in, you can do all sorts of things. But being from the, the West, the only way they allow you to do it is to fly in. They don't let you do any other way. Um, it's just unheard of, and they don't like to do things out of the box, which is fine. It's up to them. 
but with the with that we just had to sort of get our Hajj visas, so on and so forth, and then we had some uh, Saudi contacts with the sports ministry. Okay. And they facilitated for us the ability to, to cycle in the country, which is pretty much unheard of before then, uh, except for a very few occasions. Okay, so how do you go about planning the rest of the trip then? Because obviously you've got to get to Saudi, uh, which in itself is a headache, like the whole Saudi thing is a headache itself, but how do you go about planning the rest of the route from France, you went across into Austria, uh, parts of Italy, um, before crossing into Greece and yeah. whatnot, so... Well, like, like I said, I, my original plan in 2007, um, obviously Sham hadn't happened by then, so Syria hadn't kicked off and there wasn't a war there. Absolutely. There wasn't a war in Libya, there wasn't revolution in Egypt. You know, the Arab Spring hadn't even thought about the beginning, it was still winter as they call it. Um, so, it was very much no, we can't do that route, no, we can't do this route, no, we can't do that route, that route's going to take too long. It just, it was it was a logistical nightmare. And coming from a logistics background, you know, the planning process, you can either, you can go one of two ways. Either you can be a bit flippant with it and be like, yeah, it will just work. Or you can get a bit, you know, um, specific. And then the more deep you go, the more you get stuck down the rabbit hole. And it's just, you could just end up planning it for the rest of your life if you really wanted to make sure everything was perfect. So we had to strike a balance between the two. But I would suggest anyone who's uh, planning it, because I heard lots of rumours, make sure you do your prep and make sure you do your planning, because a lot can go wrong. And if you don't have backup plans, when you're out there, it causes major issues. Yeah. So how many, how many riders did you have on the start line? On the start line, uh, nine riders uh, officially and two support staff. Okay, one, um, one van? One, one of the support staff took over and became a rider at the end. Ah, very nice. And so was that one van supporting you all? Yeah, we, we, we nicknamed it the Hadge Ride Van. Um, we all signed the back door because, you know, we, we, we were somewhere in Greece and we just got excited and there was a permanent marker pen so we all just signed the door like we've, we've got this far and the van's going back so let's sign it um it was given to me by a friend uh who you know does lots of logistics work as well we'd worked together before i even started cycling and um he let us use it it was an old uh old mercedes sprinter van it was a proper workhorse it was serviced before it went the brakes failed coming down the alps it you know it's just a, a van that had epic story behind it already <laughs> and it just this just topped it off absolutely absolutely so with what what was the when you told people you're riding to hajj what was the reaction uh they thought we were crazy from, from both from both cyclists and general public or just the cyclists oh, sometimes the cyclists were the worst oh yeah but like general public are like what why would you do that <laughs> um and cyclists are like it's not possible you can't do that. Look at you. You know, you're not professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, how, how was the training prior to that then? Because I, I was probably of the of that camp, like looking at some of the riders at the time, I, I was intrigued as to what would happen. But mashallah, you, you guys managed it. But how were you guys training prior to the prior to the trip? Oh, the, the training was terrible on, on most parts of most individuals. And I just, you know, when, when we were selecting individuals for it, there was something which I was looking for in each individual. And it wasn't necessarily their physical fitness, but it was more their mental resilience to, to persist, a.k.a. being incredibly stubborn. Um, so when I would take these guys out for a training ride, I would, you know, I would hurt them. And I'm not, I'm not playing around. I'm, I mean, I would hurt them. I would make sure I took them up every hill I could and took them past their physical boundaries that they've ever made in their life. Give them agonizing pain and see how they reacted. And when, you know, if, if somebody reacted in a, in a good way yep. and persisted through it with a, with a decent attitude, you can come. Yeah. Yeah, so were you leading the charge on the training and all the logistics and whatnot as well uh pretty much i mean we had 
at the same time, we had a London to Paris going on. Um, so Abudjana Imran Aboudi was helping out with that. Um, Shaheb, aka Abu Bicycles, he was, you know, the, the head mechanic for the Hadj Riders. And we were training away together. Dobiruddin, who actually had a knee operation a couple of months beforehand, um, he was helping out with, you know, getting routes and, and training programs and all of that pulled together. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely a group effort in, in many respects. And I was just like, sort of like governing, like, these different areas and had my finger in every pie. Absolutely. So you started off riding to Paris with the rest of the group and then continued your journey. Is that what it was? Yeah, we, we went off with around about 30 guys to yeah. Paris. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because <laughs> 30 guys to Paris uh, was easier than any day <laughs> afterwards, even though you've only got like a smaller group of people yeah. because of the, you know, just the, the sheer difficulty of being out in the middle of nowhere. And you've got less people, but you've got greater responsibility and, and more unknowns. And it has a toll on you. Yeah. So I've got the map up. Um, you actually sent me one from Ilmfid. Uh So explain the route. So you continued to Paris, and then where, where else did oh, you we continue? Went down, we went down through uh, the rolling fields of France, um, and then wound our way up towards, uh, you know, hitting into Switzerland. You you touched in Ger- You you almost like slivered through Germany before hitting Switzerland. Isn't it? That's correct, right? What we actually did with Germany was um, we went into Switzerland and then there's a town called Rheinfelden and Rheinfelden has got a river running through the middle. So half of Rheinfelden is in Switzerland and the other half is in Germany. Ah. The Masjid is in the Germany side. Gotcha. (laughs) Okay. So we came down through Switzerland, we made our way up and we just went to the Masjid where we, which happened to be in Germany. Gotcha. So yeah, that's how we ended up in Germany. So where you but we st- also went through like weird countries called uh, Liechtenstein. Oh yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah, that that was a weird one. Yeah, that's a tiny country, so I don't imagine you were in there very long. Actually, we stayed the night there. And, oh uh, really? Yeah, okay. There, there was there was um, uh, a hostel for all the drug addicts, which was right next to where we where the masjid is. Ah. Uh, so the guys were, were sleeping at some brother's house because the masjid was shut, and I had to sit in the van. Uh, and sleep in the van overnight, and I had all these drunks and drug addicts sort of like knocking on the windows and trying to talk to me. Uh, interesting, interesting. So, uh, were you staying in masjids throughout your trip? How, how did it work? Uh, we, we took tents with us. So the idea was that we were going to, you know, wild camp our way through Europe. Uh, we did a lot of nights of that. Really? Um, yeah, we did a lot of wild camping in, in even in Switzerland and places like that. On a couple of occasions. We had the rare Airbnb that we booked just so we could get a shower and, you know, Absolutely. use an actual bathroom and, and, you know, things like that. Um, but then, yeah, on the, on, the, on the here and there, we, I suppose it was more regular that we would be in a masjid rather than being in a, in a hotel or anything like that. It was a very blessed way to do it as well. We felt very, um, you know, connected spiritually. What we're doing was very spiritual we, you know you're cycling to hajj but at the same time you know being able to go through the masajid and and join the jamaat in different places and see all the different people in the different regions it was really touching to have that sense of community across the countries so what was the response of the muslims like while you're traveling through these places like via the masjid you obviously come across some brothers when you told them what you were doing how did they receive that what was the welcome like well, now, now we're kind of touching into what was the purpose of Hadride as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, Hadride itself wasn't necessarily that we wanted everyone to cycle to Hajj. We, we, we set out a bunch of objectives that we wanted to achieve in terms of awareness and fundraising and all of these things. And we realized when we came back that we never actually wrote down that we want to take a group of cyclists to cycle to Hajj. It just wasn't said. But one of those things on there was the empowerment of our ummah. And we wanted to inspire them to feel stronger, to feel that we can achieve and to, you know, be willing to face things and go forward on this. So, alhamdulillah, when we, when we would come into the masajid, initially they would be sort of in shock and they would be very hesitant, like, whoa, what's this? It's, 
it's really weird. Like, w- yeah. what do you mean you're you're cycling from London to Medina? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and then the reality would kick in, and their skepticism would fade away, and then they'd realise that we're not just a bunch of crazy guys making up stuff, and they would become like insanely supportive. For example, the masjid in in Germany had never had anyone sleep in it, never, ever. And we were the first people, the first group that actually stayed in the masjid overnight. Mm-hmm. Because, and they facilitated that for us just because we needed a place to stay. And they utilized their facility and changed all of their rules and everything to accommodate us. Was that pre-planned? So, Did you contact them prior or was that you just turned up at the door? No, we just turn up at the door okay. and if, if we yeah. can't find a place to sleep, yeah, yeah. we roll on and, and set up our tents. Yeah. It's as simple yeah. as that. Alhamdulillah. So, I mean, there, there was, like I said, there was a lot of planning that went into it, but there was a lot of things which you can't plan. Um, one of the things that is a bit challenging to plan is making a lineup of hotels or a lineup of places to stay because when you do that, you set yourself time limits and, uh, you know, targets. So if you get fallen behind in a time limit or a target to reach with certain individual riders that might be a beneficial thing it gives them a boost but when you're cycling for you know weeks on end and then you're like three days behind and you've got to make a hotel in two days it's not the the ideal situation to be in because it can just be the pressure that pushes individuals over the edge absolutely absolutely so you're staying in mosques and did anyone invite you for meals? Like, how, how was it with uh, the locals? Yeah, subhanAllah. The, the hospitality of the Ummah is the hospitality of the Ummah. Uh, you know, I remember even when we were in Greece, you know, the, the masjid there refused to let us go outside and get food. And they, they cooked for us. They cooked like three different massive curry dishes for us, mashallah. Oh. Um, it was some Bengali brothers. <laughs> funny story with that is one of the, the Hajj riders, he was Pakistani, not used to eating fish. And uh, he got one of the, the bones stuck down his throat. So we, we were all trying to get this bone out of his throat and, and teaching him how to, to eat a fish curry. <laughs> I imagine that's probably one of the highlights, like just the hospitality of the people that you meet and just the conversations that you might have with some of them. Yeah, I mean, quite often the, the conversations are not, I mean, maybe there's one or two individuals that can converse but not necessarily oh, yeah, all of language us. barrier. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even with the, even with the, the hospitality, you don't need to speak. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's kind of like the love and the the manners and the kindness and looking after each other and and just you know passing the plates and all of that. It just gives you this sense of ummah and sense of jamaa. It's nice. So, uh, what were there any hostility as well from uh, either Europeans or? Uh, I don't know at, at borders, whatnot for you, for you uh, for, through Europe. Well, I think it was probably the first time that most of the police officers had ever seen a bunch of brown cyclists going down the road. So that's probably why we got stopped in every single country, asked for our passports, oh, yeah. um, sometimes held at gunpoint. Okay. You know, while while they're figuring things out. What country and, was that? At? Where, where were you held at gunpoint? Oh, uh, France, Greece oh. at oh. one point. Um, yeah, I think it's only France and Greece on that occasion. Wow. Uh, but yeah, in Germany, in Licht- no Liechtenstein, actually, they 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 pulled their gun out, but held it down. Okay. Um, yes, I mean, Italy was kind of cool, but. Yeah, out of all of them, it was Greece was the, the most friendly towards us and the most chilled out country. But generally speaking, generally speaking, the people are amazing across Europe, end of. Um, the Muslims are, are amazing. Uh, the borders weren't really an issue. But it, we had two occasions where there was racial abru- abuse towards us. One guy threw water at me um, and a couple of other riders. So he, it was a really hot day. Yeah. We're driving down the road. And the guy comes the other way and he throws a bottle of water. The water empties out, spreads across the air and showers us. And we're like, ah, that feels good. But obviously his near yeah, was that yeah. he wanted to hit us with the bottle, which missed us. <laughs> <laughs> so from, 
from his bad niya came a, a rahma for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so crossing into the Middle East. Oh, actually, you visited Africa first, um, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, and then into the Middle East. How, how was it riding in uh, the different con- continents? How 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 was it different? Well, I had a bit of a challenge come up personally in, in Egypt. Um, we had some issues with the visas back in the UK, and we weren't aware of this because you know there's only certain certain individuals that can handle this kind of documentation. Um, you know, when you're out of the country, getting your Hajj visa is a bit challenging. Yeah. So we had to come up with some processes. So the, the guys carried on there, uh, and I had to head back to the UK and sort out the, the visa processing. But if you if you check out the Hadride vlog on YouTube, just go on YouTube and you just t- type in Hadride, um, you'll be able to see what it was like cycling in Egypt. Cycling in Egypt, you've got sandstorms. Um, you have to get written permission from the government to cycle between cities. You have to get you know passes to enter... The, the hotels, the hotels won't let you even stay in a hotel unless you've got certain documentation. So it was a lot more challenging the moment we left Europe. At that time, you know, we were all part of the Europe and part of the Schengen Treaty where we can have freedom of movement. Yeah. No time limits, no nothing. Yeah. So heading over into, from this kind of relaxed situation, heading over into Northern Africa where everything just suddenly tightened up and there were a lot more challenges in the logistical side than previously it did put a bit of tension into the group and there there was a couple of days where they just needed to sort of like let their stress levels come down and wallahi it's amazing how as that was happening they started seeing the the karama the the miracles miracles of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like when they they were in a sandstorm and, and the sandstorm was literally pushing them and they're barely cycling at all, and they're doing a 25-mile-an-hour average ride. Sure. So they're out in the sun. The sandstorm is kind of protecting them from the sun a little bit because it's so hot across those deserts. Yeah. It's pushing them along, and they did like a 100-mile ride in just a couple of hours, wow. you know, four hours. Yeah. It was it was insane. You know, the fastest time that, that 99.9% of them had ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what, four weeks into a ride? Yeah, four weeks in, you're already burnt, you're already exhausted, your body fat's probably dropped to around about 6% because you're not eating enough calories for, for what you're expending, your, you know, your mental state, but then you're just focusing on the Kaaba. That's it, really. Yeah. So what were the challenges during the ride, other than, obviously, you were stopped in Egypt, but the day-to-day, what were the major challenges? Day-to-day... Um, it's usually finding somewhere to sleep. Okay. And, you know, if there are any mechanical issues, which there were very few, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, then it's just the case of, look, what are we eating and where are we sleeping? So what did you do for food? Well, we tried to cook as often as we could. We had to, you know, obviously, very rarely you're going to find halal meat across Europe, yeah. uh, especially in some of these regions. But we tried to find what we could. Uh, so then we made up with lentils and, and other stuff that would, would allow us to get our proteins in because we need protein for recovery, we need carbs, so lots of breads. Trying to adapt to the local cuisines, getting fresh veg in, eating a thousand and one chocolate bars. Yeah. Yeah, when I came back, I hated chocolate. Well, after t- uh, I'm sure you tried European chocolate. After, after that, you can't have English chocolate. I feel sorry for the Americans. Anyway, uh, it's, <laughs> it's very unfortunate of the right that uh, it's probably a discussion for another podcast, um, but the restrictions and the complications you get in the Middle East, in Northern Africa, just to ride your bike even, is uh, yeah. is madness compared to here in Europe. Um, like I've cycled in Europe a few times, and it's uh, going through borders, going through anything really. It's just you have complete freedom, whereas I can imagine... Um, although I've not cycled in Egypt or in the Middle East, I can imagine being stopped several times, uh, and yeah. uh, just just no, because no. it's 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 not normal. Um, but inshallah, well, they, they had, in Egypt they actually had a police escort. So <laughs> because they because they had to get this special permission, 
the special permission actually meant that they had to stay with an escort that essentially was a policeman watching them. Um, but saying that, you know, other countries like Oman, um, not, not related to the Hajj ride, but Oman, you can just fly your bike over, set up a route and go for a bike ride. But Egypt particularly is uh, very careful about allowing foreigners to cycle around. Yeah, yeah. sad really, but yeah. yeah so you're getting closer to Medina now. Uh, how was how was the reception there? Uh, way beyond anything we could imagine. Subhanallah, um, it, it was insane. Like, if, I don't, I don't even know how to put it in words. Like, uh, if you see on on the Hadrid vlog, I've seen some see of the it. images, and it's in, it's incredible. Um, like, it's unbelievable some of the images that have come out from just you guys entering Medina and then the mosque itself. Uh, yeah. I so. mean, cycling in Saudi is like <laughs> it's insane um, you, you cycle and I remember I was cycling I, I forgot my glasses you know I had see-through glasses that I wear like, for most of my rides um, I forgot my glasses and I literally like I would open my eyes and I could feel them drying yeah. and then I'd close my eyes open them and I could feel them drying and you drink a bottle of water and you cycle for like two, three minutes, you need another bottle of water because it just sucks all of the moisture out of your body. And that was in the evening, you were riding in the evening, right? Uh, we, we actually started in the late afternoon. Yeah. Um, in, in the late afternoon, and we managed to get into Medina uh, shortly before Maghrib. So we, we kind of like, I'd say just before Asr, and yeah. then... Uh, we managed to get into Medina for about Maghrib. It's not actually very far from the coast. Take a step Sorry? back very quickly. How, how did you enter Saudi? Oh, well, this is, this is where the complication comes in. Okay. So we actually got, a, we got approval to get a boat for the, the guys who managed to get through Egypt. Yep. So we got approval for that, and the paperwork and everything was agreed for the boat. So when they stamped the Hajj visa here in the UK, they said that they didn't have the boat stamp, but they, that it should be fine, and they gave us the air stamp. So yeah. we took it, and, and we, we had a, a letter to explain this. And we, got it, we got the passports back to the brothers with the visas inside of them, and they went to the port. They booked the ferry, and the ferry guy said no. So, in a last-minute, uh, you know, bid to try and save the situation, they got sent back. They basically got a, fer uh, uh, a van back to Cairo. Yeah. Took a flight over to Saudi, and then had to go in again and, and start from the other side, kind of, and then go back towards Medina. So it's like we we skipped that boat section. Gotcha. Um, the long way yeah yeah fair enough yeah. fair enough and and by this point you're ridiculous it's like it's just over there come on yeah go. yeah, yeah. anyway uh, it's, it's it's stupid some of these rules I, I remember like when i went saudi i don't know it must have been 20 years ago now like we were in mecca uh or yeah and we we just wanted to go Ta'if, which isn't too far and we, we we couldn't get permission back then it was just like no sorry you, ca you can't go you've just got an umrah visa but Ta'if's just there mate no, sorry, you can't go. Um, yeah, we just waiting hours, and then eventually they just said no. And it's uh, it's frustrating dealing with some of these people back here. Uh, discussion for another time, inshallah. Uh, yeah, exactly, a different vlog. But, yes. I mean, you you have to kind of, and this is this is also why the route went through this way. It's because you have to respect the political situation in the country. Yeah, and this is some something that we can't ignore. I know we're cyclists, and we think that we're part of nature, and that we're the most natural thing next to a tree um but the reality is that we're still human beings and we still need permission to go places and and other places in the world aren't as calm as here so we're very blessed in the fact that you know we're able to have such freedoms uh, especially with you know we can go up to scotland we can go over to france still we can we can go over different many many places and regions in in very free ways and this is something which we celebrate as cyclists yeah alhamdulillah so 
Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you weren't riding the same bikes that you left with either. Uh, no, no, no. They all, they all went back uh, at Greece with the van, so they had to be returned back. Um, I'm aware that the Mashallah Tabarakallah, the brother uh, Rashid, he managed to get his bike over to Egypt and then through to Saudi. So he actually finished on the same bike, which was amazing to see that photo, Mashallah. How did you get the um, other bikes then? Sorry? How did you get the other bikes? Oh, the locals. Locals just, I mean, in Saudi, they lent us the bikes. In Egypt, we just had to rent some bikes. Oh, wow. um, I would, I mean, obviously, the brakes are the wrong way around. They put yeah. them on the opposite side. Yeah, yeah. But I would definitely say that the quality of bikes in the UK is something we need to be very grateful for as well. Oh, uh, I see brothers riding seven, eight, nine thousand pound bikes. Now, mashallah. It's incredible. It's good. It's good. Um, anyway. Uh, so entering Medina, you you rode in with locals, am I correct? Yeah, subhanAllah. So Tabor cyclists um, were part of the the reception, mashallah. And that's actually how we had the link to the Saudi Sports Authority, mashallah. Mecca cyclists were there as well. Yep. Um, they came up to visit us, mashallah. We actually had a little cycle ride, cycle ride in, in Mecca later on as well, and it was brilliant. Um but yeah, yeah, subhanAllah, you know, the, the reception from the brothers was, was insane. And in Saudi, they were, they were telling us while we're cycling, they were telling us how this is probably the, the most, most uh, safe, secure and uh, cared for that they had ever felt themselves. Because we had police escorts, we had um, support vehicles, we had all of these things. And, and the, the brothers were explaining to us that in Saudi, because... It's just kind of a, a culture that's that's brewing now. People still will horn at you and tell you to get off the road, even when there's like nowhere to go, um, because they're just not used to seeing cyclists. And it's like, why would you cycle when you've got an air-conditioned car? <laughs> so yeah. it's very much a culture which hasn't been supported uh, over there yet, but it's it's kind of starting to change. Yeah, so currently they just had the Saudi tour, uh, showcasing some of Saudi's uh, beautiful landscapes. Uh, the reasoning behind that is probably something else. Uh, but um, I think the culture is definitely changing. And I think across the Middle East as well, they're uh, tuning in to the fact that cyclists and cycling is a good thing and they need the money for yeah. from tourism and whatnot. So I, I think there'll be a change, inshallah. And like you said, a lot more people are thinking about the Hajj ride. I've heard a few rumors from a few people as well. And I definitely think it'll be uh, a little easier, thanks to yourself and some of the others who have already done it. So good on you. Yeah, so. definitely. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So af after that, like... You've just finished the ride, and then how, how do you then prepare for Hajj? Because you've just spent six weeks on the road, probably had a few showers along the way, you're exhausted, malnourished. How, how do you come down, or rather, how do you build yourself up then to perform Hajj? That was a concern of mine when, when we started, um... But let me just nip back one second, yeah, go because on. when we actually arrived in Medina, when we actually arrived in Medina, that's on the, the Hadride blog as well. Yeah. Um, I need to say this because this is this is probably the pinnacle of all emotion, and I don't want to miss that bit. Yeah. For the listeners, I, I mean, it's just so insane. Imagine you have had, and I, I went to Umrah once before, so I, I knew what the masjid. Of Rasulullah like in Medina. I, I knew what the Kaaba looked like in Mecca. And I had this every time I was in pain, every time I was training in the UK and I had, you know, a difficulty or it was raining or whatever, I literally would visualize these two buildings in front of my face. Like I could see them and I would try and remember every detail of them until the pain or the suffering or the, the thought of giving up came across my head. So when we actually got into Medina, I was thinking we we're going to go to the masjid. And we took a, a detour. And I'm like, why are we taking this detour? SubhanAllah, the locals had organized for a fully-fledged celebration with kids and uh, a duff band, you know, the duff band, to sing Talal Badru Alayna. 
Uh, no, I'm not a professional singer. Um, and it was, it was incredibly, insanely intense. And we had that, and we're all, every single one of us was crying. You know, big man Tahir, mashallah. You know, he's seen as the strong one of the group, the, the real man. Allahumma barak, the guy was weeping like a baby. I was crying like a little girl. You know, every single one of us was so... We were, we were beyond belief that this is, has been done. Subhanallah. And then after that, we just we got all our bikes from there and we cycled into the right, literally right up to the gate of Masjid Nabawi. And we put our bikes against the side and the, and the, the police stood there and guarded our bikes while Absolutely. we went in and prayed our maghrib. Subhanallah. And that, like, we, you, subhanallah, I, I've never, never had such an emotional prayer. Like, it was just incredible. You know, it was like you, I finally managed to hit the end yeah. of that visualization. And it was everything I wanted, everything I needed, everything I loved, and more. And it was so amazing. That that you can't imagine the feelings that you must have gone through. Like Allah delivered you safely, and the reception that you that you then got, and then of course the destination itself, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's masjid. That's that's incredible. All right, so Hajj after that. So Hajj, how do you how do you go from the ride itself, the journey to then preparing for Hajj? Well, I mean, obviously, when, when we finished, um, one of my concerns was that, like you said, we might be in a state where we're physically beaten up. To be honest, I, we, you, you, you kind of get into a rhythm. And yeah, we were a lot skinnier than we started off, but we were in flipping good shape. Bro. Yeah. Like every single day doing that kind of exercise and, you know, that kind of fitness it it was hard, really hard, and it meant that it made my Hajj feel easy. Well, I, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah, well, let, let me just put it this way. The furthest I'd ever walked before then, the furthest, was 20 miles. It was um, from West London to East London via the canal. So, like, pure flat. Yeah. 110% flat is 18 point something miles was the route and my by the end of it my feet were in agony the next day I could barely walk um, you know my legs were hurting me uh, I felt like I'd just been thrown through a, you know a really really large bush and beaten up by boars and stuff and it was really nasty I didn't enjoy it at all on Hajj subhanallah we walked over 30 miles including uh on the first day of hajj we went and did all of our rights me shaheb and dobir yeah. we said we're going to go get it all done today so we went and we did all of the all of the the requirements we we, we walked up to um the haram yep then we went from the haram we walked up to a like a a, a village nearby so we actually walked out of mecca and we walked up a mountain. We did our vabiha there on the mountain. Well, you did it yourself. Kaaba. Yeah. And then we walked back down the mountain. We went and got our hair cut. <laughs> got back to the hotel. Had our showers, you know, cleaned up everything. Yeah. Yep. And we still got back to our tents. And we, we walked back to our tents. And all of that was more than 30 miles in one day. And I woke up the next day and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Well, no problem. Let's go. Well, mashallah. Good on you, boys. Alhamdulillah. Good on you. So, uh, but, I mean, what, what, sorry, the, the point of me saying all that wasn't to boast. It was to no, say absolutely. that, you know, ultimately, when you're at that physical peak and you got into that rhythm, it becomes very easy for you to execute these ibadahs in a very different way. I don't think I'd have been able to do that if you just picked me up in 2017 from, from the UK living a normal lifestyle. I would not have been able to do those 30 miles in the heat, in the suffering, um, struggling, you know, doing the dhabiha, you know, wrestling the sheep and stuff. 
like it really prepared me for for that day and made it much more easier and much more easy for me to focus on my ibadah and i suppose you know as cyclists we're trying to improve our health as well and you'll find that when you do go to do these trips it does become easier for you to handle the trip versus someone who doesn't have a healthy lifestyle because it allows you to prepare your mind and your body for physical activity and then when your body's ready for the physical activity it takes less mental and spiritual strength to push you through it so you can focus mentally and spiritually on being present with your du'as being present with your niya being present with you know in taking in the environment around you and it's much more i mean i found it very beneficial actually i've really enjoyed my hajj well, if you look at it this way like th- only a hundred years ago uh, your journey would have been very similar to almost every Muslim going, uh, whether it would yeah. be via ship, walking on a camel, uh, t- etc., caravan. So, yeah, I guess uh, you guys done it proper old school, and but it also prepared you for the Hajj itself, which is excellent. So, how did you guys get home? Like uh, with all your bikes? Oh, actually, you hired the bikes, didn't you? So, yeah, no, no bike to carry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. Just getting, getting home was, um, we, we stayed in Mecca a little bit longer so we could kind of wind ourselves down. And one thing that a lot of people don't think of is what, when they've done major challenges, and I mean major challenges like the NC500 just recently, you know, some of the brothers are feeling the same thing. It's almost like you come home with a trauma because of the difficulty of the challenge and the shock that it has on your, your mental, physical, spiritual and then coming back into normal life, it is like it is quite a traumatic experience. It's a major to be out come on down. the road for like two, three months, yeah, and then come home. It's like a, it just becomes a very different place, and you need to process that. So we took a few weeks after the Hajj to you know really settle into Mecca and try and settle our hearts and our minds before we came back. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Uh, well, I have a f- feeling of what you're talking about—the come down you get after a major, major trip and whatnot. So it's, it's hard to deal with sometimes. Um, yeah. And you're kind of thinking, well, Sorry. when's the next one? Or you know what I mean? Or do you yeah, get that? Yeah, as well? It's like you're chasing the next buzz. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, you know, you're still trying to recon- reconcile all of the the stresses and the pains and everything you've been through. Yeah. And you know, trying to process them. Absolutely. So, what what is the next challenge? Just going to put it on you like that. Um, <laughs> well, at the moment for me, the next challenge is you know trying to take over from the amazing uh, example that Abdul Mukhtar put That's out right. as an Emir of AICC, yeah. and just keeping AICC rolling, trying to take it into the next stages, the next the next developments. We've got NC500 going on again this year, yeah. so that's a really good one. You know, the pioneering group last year was were amazing. Yeah. Bunch of nut jobs. We slept in tents on the sand. Got attacked by midges. If yeah. anyone doesn't know what midges are, you don't want to know. Yeah. Um, they're evil. And you know, we had we had a really tough time. Uh, a lot of the guys came back and threw their bikes aside. Uh, I saw but, some some thrown in the bin. Yeah. They, they said that it was a really amazing experience. So, you know, we got that coming up again, again this year. We're going to try and make it a little bit easier by booking a few places. Um, but at the same time, you know, the Elan Velo, Chilton, Sportif. We're just going back to doing a few grassroots stuff down south. Yeah. Up north, they've got Way of the Roses and other things going on. Check out the, um, the poster for AICC events and you can register your interest, inshallah. That's not a problem. Yeah. And if you want to come along, then uh, I'll be at an event. Don't worry. Something crazy. Oh, you know, I, you come up with the crazy ideas, bro. I need something from you. You're the. You're like one of the grandfathers, the founding fathers of cycling in the Muslim community. Get out of here. Anyway, uh, so back to Hajj very quickly. Uh, what were you guys raising for, and how much did you raise? Alhamdulillah, we raised around about three hundred thousand. Um, wow. The main the main wow. project was for Syria for medical assistance and medical aid for Syria. Yeah. Uh, out of that. What we did, subhanAllah, was insane. And a lot of people don't actually know what was done because yeah. part of the agreement from, for us doing it with the charity, which was Human Aid at the time, was that I would have an oversight and involvement and final agreement 
to the projects that were actually applied with funds. So we dug and set up an entire underground cave hospital. We also... Where was uh, that? In Syria? In Syria? A cave hospital in Syria? in Syria. Like, literally, from a hole in the ground, we built a hospital, bro. SubhanAllah. Um, And then also, they said that, you know, the the next requirement is that we need vehicles that can bring the people and and, and take the people back to to their houses and stuff. Um, And we made an agreement on this. SubhanAllah. If anybody wants to commission this, by the way, please get in touch because we took a paramedics team from recruitment and we've got the videos of their recruitment. We've got the videos of them going around and, and literally picking up injured children, women, you know, sick old people that need to come in for scans. They would bring them in and, and you know, hide in the underground bunkers. And we've even got images of when they were, you know, by the permission of Allah, when they were shaheed. Every single member of the paramedics team was shaheed within about three years. Um, and we've got all of the footage, all of the GoPro footage. They literally wore GoPros. They put them on the vehicles. We had all of the vehicles labeled as, as ambulances with Hadride logos. Um, it, was in, it was insane. Like what actually, how, where the money went, I was very, very happy with. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's amazing a, project alhamdulillah that's that's incredible you raised three hundred thousand pound with with just the one ride mashallah yeah and, it's crazy yeah absolutely so yeah. what's your biggest uh regret from the ride or the event itself but that, i mean like i said this this was the objective the objective for us was to make sure that we were making a fact sorry yeah what was the biggest regret from the whole trip itself what was the what? biggest regret Oh, biggest regret. Um, there was one brother uh, who wanted to join, uh, but he didn't have enough cycling experience, and he wanted to join a bit too late. Okay. I, I, I do tear myself about this sometimes, because I said no to him. Because I was worried that he might injure himself. Um, I was really a bit concerned because he had very, like almost next to no cycling experience. Yeah. And I, I didn't feel that I was able to give him the time, effort and focus to get him into a safe position. Now, looking back, I do tear myself up as to whether I, you know, I said the wrong answer or not. Because, I, you know, I'm going to be accountable for that. But uh, I guess that's the difficulty you face sometimes, being a mirror, and knowing that if someone's going to lag behind or uh, probably mess with the dynamics of the rest of the group, sometimes you got to make those calls. So, yeah, I, I feel for you yeah, there, man. Yeah. I feel for you there. Yeah. Uh, so on the flip yeah. side, then, what's the most? But, I mean, yeah, on, on a normal bike ride, I don't mind doing that. But on yeah, magic, it's like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah. You're traveling with someone, so you got to pick the right group and right, right brothers and whatnot. So, understandable. Uh, so, on the flip side, what's the most satisfying aspect of the ride itself or the projects? Uh, perhaps you've even mentioned oh, it. Oh, the most satisfying side, aside from, you know, being able to. Sorry. Perhaps you've even mentioned it, but gone. What did you say? Perhaps you've already mentioned it, but continue. Most sat- satisfying. Okay, I mean, aside from the projects that were absolutely epic, um, the most satisfying side was when I was in. Yeah, um, like there was there was a, there was a moment when we were, when I was back in the UK about six months afterwards, and I was heading up north for whatever reason. And on the M6, there's a prayer room, and there was a dad with his kid in there, and his dad kept on looking at me. And then the kid kept on looking at me. And I went over and I said, Salaamu Alaikum, is everything okay? Um, and, the, and the dad was like, go on, ask him. So the kid said, are you the Hajj rider? And, you know, just seeing 
the excitement in that child's face wasn't it wasn't for me it was because he knew that you know a muslim had done something so epic yeah and that was really satisfying being you know being what the person that Allah allowed to be inspirational for our youth yeah mashallah so you guys didn't stop there though did you 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 guys continued to go into schools masjids and uh, continue to showcase what you guys did, which I think is absolutely incredible because the amount of people you can inspire. Uh, so talk about that. What, yeah. what what was the reasoning behind that and what, what did you guys exactly do? Well, I mean, obviously, after the, the fundraising is closed and after the, the actual event itself is over, it was important for us to keep up with our objectives and like I said, one of the objectives was to inspire. Um, one of the, the brothers mentioned, you know, can you please come in and give a talk in the masjid? So we went into a, into a masjid and gave a talk. And then another one said, can you come into a school? And it kind of just took off from there. It wasn't anything planned. But, okay. you know, we asked ourselves, you know, should we carry on doing this? And then we started making presentations and videos. And, and one brother took on, on the role to go around he's been around the whole of the UK, you know, in, in so many different masajid and in so many different uh, schools and madrasas, Muslim schools, non-Muslim schools. And, you know, we've been able to really reach a massive amount of people and give them that inspiration. Yeah, that, that's probably, that's probably, that's an incredible part of the journey. The fact that people can still look back now and, get inspiration from it. So, uh, question for you, Abdurrahid. Would you do it again? Oh, is there even plans to do it again? You might have plans already. Yes, I would do it again. Um, is there, there plans? Ways, I mean, obviously, when you do something a first time, you learn a lot of things. So, there are a lot of things that I would do differently. Um, I know brothers have done it since then. Yeah. And brothers are going to continue to want to do it again. Absolutely. That's totally fine. Absolutely. But, you know, one of the key things is that we do make sure that why are we doing it? You know, what is the purpose for us doing it? And why are we going to go ahead with this? Because it's a massive effort. Yep. And we have to remember, you know, the first three people to enter Jahannam are going to be the scholar, the, the charitable person, and the mujahid. And these are the three first people to enter into the fire of hell. Because where was their niyyah? We've got to make sure our niyyah is on point. We've got to make sure the things that we're working for and that we're trying to deliver through it are going to be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because I'm telling you now, the last thing you want to do is go through all of that madness, all of that effort and challenge and difficulty and not have it accepted by Allah. That terrifies me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Allah accept, inshallah. So, so no plans afoot currently, but, but you'd do it again. Well, we were planning to do it in uh, 2021. Oh, but that's news to me. Corona happened. Yeah, yeah. So are you guys planning for next year or you just no. shelved it? Okay. Shelved it for now. Um, you, we also need to look at the, the weather situation because across Europe, um, the oh, weather yes. becomes yes. very challenging Absolutely. and there's no point trying to climb the Alps in the winter because they shut the roads. Uh, of course. I didn't think of that. It's, you're a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so just to wrap up, it's something I ask all my guests. If you had the option to ride with one person or a few people, who would it be? Um any ride, anything? Any any ride, anything. Who would you like who would you love to ride with? Are we talking famous people or just No, nah, it, it, it could be anyone. Okay. Well, I that's what I did on the NC 500. I just picked a load of guys that I like cycling with um, and said to them, do you want to come along? Yeah. A couple of extra guys came along as well yeah. and that was it. We were off. But me, I just want to ride with people who, who want to enjoy the ride. You know, there's no point rushing to get through a ride. My favorite rides are the ones where I don't push myself too hard. They're, they're tough, but I go with a group of guys that I can have you know, a relationship with, yeah. and I can enjoy yeah. the the process. I one person who I do, I I love cycling with beyond anything, and I haven't seen him on a bike in in years, 
um, is Abel Bicycles, Shaheb. Yeah, yeah I, I've actually seen his uh, Strava just uh, become a little bit active recently. So, so maybe. Yeah, but he, yeah, he, he doesn't wear he doesn't wear a helmet, so <laughs> he doesn't take photos. <laughs> is, is that the reason he don't take photos? No, he doesn't take photos anyway. Trying to get him oh, in yeah, a photo right. is impossible. But yeah, Shaheb is one. Um, the beer is another. I suppose, obviously, being on the Hadride ride with them, you know, I just got addicted to their company. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of other brothers as well that I just, you know, if you said to me, go out on a ride, and it was a bit of a boring route, if you put them on it, I'd, I'd be more than happy to show up, just so I could just, you know, cruise next to them and, and, and enjoy the the banter. And the brotherhood, mashallah. Yeah, mashallah. So, uh, j- just for the record, Abu Bicycles did wear a helmet for the whole Hud ride, right? Or... Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, except okay. for one section in Greece. Okay, okay. That's fine. We, we will do it once or twice. That's fine. Yeah, I think it's because he actually left it. He, he cycled off. And then I was like, dude, where's your helmet? And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it was intentional that time. Yeah. Abdul Rahid, it's been a pleasure, bro. Jazak all here for having me on. And um, I ask Allah SWT to put Barakah in all of your efforts. I mean. And... Uh, you know, brothers, please do support this because at the end of the day, you know, this is content that we we can't get everywhere. And it's amazing that the brother's doing this and he's doing it all from himself. Bro, uh, like I said, it's a pleasure and uh, I'd love to get you on again after or before another mental trip. Or perhaps we'll do the trip together, inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.